Today on Movers and Shakers, we'll talk about the value of keeping our current customers versus losing them to the competition. Some businesses report it being as much as six times more to acquire a new customer. And as media costs rise each year, lowering churn becomes even more important. Today on Movers and Shakers, we'll talk about four strategies to improve churn and retain more of your customers. Our guest, Rick Lang, is no stranger to working with companies to achieve this goal. He's a 30-year veteran in the cable and internet space, and more recently leads the global cable sales practice at Affinity AI, a software company that leverages AI to pair like-minded call center agents and customers. Let's see what Rick has to say about the best strategies to improve retention. As marketers, we often hyper-focus on growing brand, demand gen, and ultimately new customers, so much so that sometimes we forget that keeping our current customers is less expensive, requires less time and investment, and creates higher margins and profitability. Depending on the size of your company, improving retention or reducing customer churn, as some people call it, by as little as one to 5% can improve margins or the bottom line specifically. Welcome everyone to Movers and Shakers. I'm today's host, Lucy Rainey. I'm excited for today's guest, who is the former Chief Marketing and Sales Officer of Comcast and current Head of Global Cable Sales at Affinity AI who throughout his career has long focused on retention using the moniker, the little hinges that swing a big door. Welcome, Rick. Uh, thank you, Lucy. Uh, Rick, I think most of the folks today probably understand what a CMO of Comcast is responsible for, you know, keeping um, the um, acquisition engine going, you know, driving new internet customers or retaining them. But tell us what you're doing these days at Affinity AI. AI anything seems to be the hot ticket right now. Yeah, no, thank you. And and uh, obviously, like you said, at Comcast, the retention focus and all that is, I'm sure we'll get into a lot more of it later. The, as everyone knows, obviously AI right now is, is a really hot topic. Um, Affinity's actually been doing it for you know, probably 13, 14 years now. Um, so it is a, you know, you see a lot of it on TV and, you know, it's going to take over the world. And certainly there are, there are ap applications. One of the things that, that our company tries to do is maximize the interactions uh, between a, either a call center agent and a consumer customer. How, how does that better using AI to predict, you know, which agents and which people might have better outcomes than the old fashion way of if I'm the longest person waiting in a queue to talk to an agent, I get the first available agent and that might not be the most optimal uh, pairing. So the AI kind of looks through, you know, huge data sets and says that these, uh, these particular matches may be, uh, may be more optimized. So usually it's, you know, four, six, 8% uh, percentage points better on whatever metric the the company the client wants to optimize on so it's very interesting it's it's cutting edge stuff i'm i'm really way too old to be into it but at the end of the day it's um fascinating because there are you know the company we have you know a couple thousand employees and and the vast majority of them are data scientists that just work on the models it's not a you know i know in the in the movies and on television and the media today it's sort of a hey, it's a black box and just kind of lets it go but but there is a quite a bit of actual you know doing the models doing the machine learning the program all of that so it, but it is it's a it's a fascinating field and it's uh, 
you know, it's, it's really great to be in that space after 35 years in the cable business. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. Great. So interesting using AI actually to help, um, uh, produce better retention or churn outcomes for companies. So, you know, essentially you're still in the retention business um, overall. It is, it um, is funny. And what, yeah. Yep. And what is this little hinge that swings a big door? I mean, I've known you for a long time and um, this is definitely a moniker that you've, you know, used over the years. And I think it definitely applies to retention. Absolutely. I mean, I think if you look at, if you look at retention, you look at a couple of things in your business you know, from an acquisition standpoint, and I would make the argument that retention actually begins at the point of acquisition. But, you know, you have to look at what are, and I use the analogy, and I think it was, I'm trying to remember who first said it, but the little hinge that swings the big door. And that's the the piece of the business you need to work on that can have the biggest impact. You know, it's, you can work on a lot of different initiatives, but, you know, for me, retention is always, you know, paramount to what you need to do to drive your business goals. Because at Comcast, I can just refer back to that. We obviously needed to acquire because we had a lot of people that moved and disconnected. And, you know, and so you had to really keep the acquisition engine going. And to the extent that that was, you know, you could only go so far there, you really, really, the focus on retention was, was really key. And that's one that, you know, I think everybody, you know, probably on the call and in the audience, you know, you need to, you need to really focus on how can I, not necessarily retain when somebody's actually leaving, but but keep an ecosystem in place that that makes them not want to go anywhere else um, to do do transact business with any of your competitors. Great. So let's jump right in, Rick. There's so many important things about retention, and you've actually already touched on a couple of them. Revenue stability, it's the first place to uh, fix a leaky bucket, and it can be up to five times less expensive to save a customer versus um, onboard a new one. Brand advocacy and loyalty, lower customer turn creates higher brand advocacy. Um, think about when um, you know you really have strong advocacy, you get your referrals, your natural word of mouth. But when advocacy goes really wrong, for example, like in the recent case of Budweiser, you know, losing, we know, 4.5 billion in market cap, you know, things can really go sideways quickly. So customer retention, again, from the point of acquisition, driving brand advocacy, also very important, uh, gaining feedback and insights, and also a focus really directs companies to invest in customer experience in terms of service, product upgrades, loyalty events, rewards. Um, you know, for example, you know, airlines typically invest in these things. But again, the investment is earmarked specifically for retention. So, you know, so many, so many important things about retention. You know, but where do we get started, Rick? With your 30 years plus of experience, and I know you do also do a bit of consulting in this area. You know, for the folks who have joined us today, where would you suggest they start? Where do they get started? Well, I, I think, Lucy, obviously a very comprehensive question when you look at across the entire ecosystem of, of retention. Um, you know, a couple of the big, big pieces are, you know, why, you know, why do people leave you? You know, why are, why are there, you know, folks that are, that are, are leaving? But I think it's also, it, it becomes, how do you begin the product journey? Um, you know, so everywhere along that journey, you're making sure that the customer finds value in what you're doing and how you build the relationship. And to your point, it's very difficult to, if you make a, a fairly large mistake, 
um, you know, you, you pay for it in the marketplace. And even if you make small mistakes along the way, you pay for it in the marketplace. So, you know, like we talked about from the, from the initial conversations of when somebody comes in the door or purchases your product, uh, you know, or, or subscribes to your service, you always have to begin with even that very initial piece is what are you doing to, you know, with, with the whole goal, the whole mindset, and you brought it up a minute ago, Lucy, which is it is far less expensive and costly to your business in terms of business impact and churn and all of the associated pieces to keep somebody, you know, keep somebody happy and keep them a customer and, and have them not uh, make other purchase considerations in your, you know, kind of within your sphere. Um, so that that's a big one. You know, you, you look at a lot of different dimensions. You know, it's what service am I providing and and what where are the breakpoints? And not to get, I know we're going to talk a little bit about you know, kind of the market segments, but I think if you look along the continuum of the customer life cycle and the customer journey and you say, where, you know, what what are the what are the critical moments within that? You know, whether it's when they first want to do business with you, how is the friction? Am I uh, you know, can I can I interact with you in the way and place that I want to interact with you? And and so all those things start to build up kind of a, a reputation. And I like the brand. It's really simple. You know, I think, you know, we we use the term like Amazon. I mean, you know, there's a there's a classic example of somebody from a retention standpoint just gets it right because it, it is frictionless. It's I have two clicks and I'm done. You know, I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about it. A lot of satisfaction in, in that interaction. But I think to the extent data you know i mean having great data is is really critical because you can't you, you know you you don't want to you know kind of the analogy of bowling with a curtain in front of the pins and you roll and it's like oh well you got three it's like okay well which three i don't know and so picking up having good data in the move you know kind of in the move ecosystem or in your customer ecosystem is really important um because you you need to have the you know you hear the term sensing and how, how how can you get the pulse of, of what's going on, but you really need to have a great mechanism to get feedback from the customer. Where where are the interesting service interaction breakdowns? What are they thinking? How are they, um, you know, how are they moving through the life cycle and how are you best nurturing that along the point? So if you think about a kind of a timeline or a calendar, you know, T minus 30 before they come on, you know, day one, what does that look like? And kind of what does the journey look like in the mapping? And then you find out when as people leave the ecosystem or leave your product or don't repeat purchase, you know, what what are the rationale? What is the reason for that? Now, there's some that's uncontrollable. You know, use cable for an example. You know, somebody gets transferred somewhere and they move and you, you don't serve, you know, Boise, Idaho. So, there, you know, there's nothing you can do. And, you know, that's 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 the piece. But a lot of times, you know, there are things that you can do. And so I think, you know, getting a good, robust feedback and data on that is is really important. Sorry, you had something oh, that's else. Okay, thanks. So, wow, you covered a lot. Um, there's so much to cover. I think, you know, one place, again, on, you know, we like to really give our stuff, our folks here tangible things to, to look at. And you, you've mentioned a lot. So let me try to just recap briefly. So I think one of the things is, 
you know, especially that I've learned, you know, over my tenure um, as a senior executive and a CMO is typically in, in a budget, you know, there's a retention number because you, you're doing math again to see what your revenue projections are and whatnot. And so, you know, I think what I'm hearing you say is leverage data and analytics, you know, what's your Doppler radar, your KPIs that you're looking at. So first of all, understand what those are, align with the rest of the organization, um, that's, I think, um, number one. Um, number two would be um, to understand what the critical points um, of a customer journey are, you know, across their life cycle, and how are you leveraging the data across those specific customer journey points um, to keep an eye on your customers and your retention uh, and to ensure that um, they have satisfaction with their products um, and so on and so forth. And three would be to look at the customer feedback that's coming back from your data, your surveys, um, your uh, customer experience uh, feedback. Um, I would probably throw in their social um, social feedback, um, uh, customer reviews, you know, things like that to ensure that you're looking at the right points of the life cycle. Did I get that right? Um, as you were kind of going through a lot of information for the folks we have um, visiting with us today. Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, you were far more articulate than I was. So that was great. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, and I think Lucy, what you said was really critical. A couple pieces in in your uh, in just your uh, points of a few seconds ago. You know, I, I, to me, it really becomes very critical to what are your kind of uh, you know kind of your radar stations. You know, what's your early warning systems? You know, what are you doing to set up a good, dependable feedback mechanism? We're getting feedback from customers and you can also get feedback from competitors, see what they're doing, how they're reacting to what you're doing, because that can tell you a lot in, in terms of what's happening in the marketplace. But I definitely think you, you need to set up a, you know, whether it's whether it's social, whether it's outbound calling after someone disconnects or, you know, somebody has lagged and not using your product. You know, what are the things that you are doing to proactively kind of go out and develop a, a data set? that can help you drive decisions and tactical executions on a marketing plan to deal with those issues. Because, you know, when you think about the funnel, kind of the analogy or, um, you know, I always use, and I know this is a bad analogy, but kind of the fish in the net, the big trawler pulls them up and you get certain amounts and, and a lot of them kind of wiggle off and jump off and you kind of look and say, okay, where where is my bucket leaking? And, mm -hmm. and how do I address that? And is it is it a service issue? Is it a product issue? Is it a customer friction issue? You know, what is it? And can I set up mechanisms in place? You're never going to be 100% right. But do I set up mechanisms and programs that tactically address each of those issues? Now, nobody has unlimited budgets. So you have to sort of pick, you know, the little hinge that swings the big door. You have to pick your points along the life cycle and things of where Where's the most, where am I experiencing the most pain? And then more importantly is what am I going to do about it? Because a lot of people, you know, they go, yeah, that, you know, you're losing a lot of people in this part of your life cycle. Yeah, that kind of sucks. You know, it, it, that can't be the answer. The answer has to be, here's everything we're doing. So when you, you know, I always tell, you know, my folks that we're working in the retention group, you know, it's like when you, you we should get to a point where we have a program, a system, uh, you know, kind of programmatic approach to retention where when we go to bed at night and hit our head hits the pillow, we know we've done everything we can do. 
you know, within obviously within, you know, nobody has an unlimited budget, but, you know, what are the right things and, you know, focus in on those. And, then, you know, you can always obviously iterate off of that into, into different stages and different things that are happening along that continuum. But for the most part, you know, having that good initial, as you mentioned, Lucy, kind of that Doppler radar look of, you know, where, where are the problems? That is, you know, it's so key to set up any kind of a good retention program and retention process. Now, it could be, you know, whether it's whether it's media, whether it's tactics, um, you know, all, all of those things, that, that's something up for up for discussion. Great. So I think in, in again, you mentioned actually some some of these points too. you know, um, there's certain marketing segments, for example, um, that you uh, might want to watch more than others. And, um, you know, here with Porch Group Media, one of the um, areas of expertise they have is with movers and, you know, movers, you know, again, so, you know, first we've talked now about setting up your KPIs, understanding your Doppler radar, what are the inflection points that you should watch for, for movers, how do you gather that data to begin to make your marketing plans. Um, sometimes there's just segments that are more likely to cause churn than others. And I think one of them, especially in subscription businesses, which you have a huge expertise in, Rick, are movers. Um, and overall, is movers something that, you know, you guys focused on, you know, in your past life or that you hear your current customers focusing on? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I think it's, you know, sadly, it has kind of, it came to the forefront a little bit later in the in the cycle, if you will, that you know the critical nature of movers. I, I would make the argument. I mean, you know, you have you have some different disconnect reasons when you're in a subscription business. People who you know don't pay, you know, non-pays that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, you know, moving is so. And and again, from a subscription business standpoint, obviously, it's it's really important because we use the and I've been told not to use sports analogies. I was going to say jump ball, but but when, when there's a, a, a decision to be made that, that uh, you know, you, you can change providers, that is just such a critical piece. And how you are in that, in that conversation in a timely manner is so critical. And I would make the assertion that, you know, being in marketing and, and my, almost my entire career in subscription-based marketing, but I would make the argument that even on, on the product side of marketing, that when people move, many of the many of their decisions, many of the brands they do business with, while you can argue some would be more important, but sometimes they get, whether it's a, you know, whether it is a product that maybe is different geographically than what they're used to or what have you, there's a lot of consideration that suddenly happens that didn't happen before. So from a moving standpoint, whether your product subscription, you know, what have you, you know, that to me, it's, it's such an incredible opportunity to reach consumers who are in the process of, of probably rethinking most of their most of their purchasing choices at, at, at that time. So it was really critical for us. And, and honestly, you know, back early in the day, we, we just didn't didn't have the right level of focus. And we certainly didn't have uh, the right kind of data sets to, to make that actionable. I mean, some of the stuff we would do, you know, back in the day, I mean, it was you know, three months after somebody had moved in, which is is obviously way too late. But yeah, no, moving is it, it, across so many products and services is, is just such an incredibly important time. And you know, from from a you know, just going back to the cable analogy, you know, that that was anywhere from thirty to fifty percent of the opportunity each month. Yeah. So um, 
Rick, Rick, did you have specific teams that focused on these types of segments? And is that something, you know, you would recommend? Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously, depending on the on the size of your business. I mean, it's it's such an important part, you know, with when you're judged on, you know, I mean, sales is, is a big thing. And, and certainly that's really important in a lot of businesses. It's it's not so much it is sales, but it's also how many how many net how 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 did you net out? And obviously, if you had a huge retention issue on the backside because you weren't capitalizing on the retention part of your marketing, you know, that you, your performance was just was at suffrage for sure. So we would have, yeah, we would definitely have teams. And I remember having the talking to the teams about how can we, we've got to get there, you know, we've got to get there first. We've got to have the right process. And and here's back to back to that point, Lucy. So when you look through your customer life cycle, one of the things that we found in the cable business was our billing system had a constraint where if somebody called and said, I'm moving to 123 Main Street, but the person who actually lived in 123 Main Street had not called to disconnect, you couldn't put them in. So it, it's like, you, you know, and that was just a process issue that was costing us a lot of subscribers and a lot of customers and a lot of net additions just because of a billing system. And again, not something that anybody was sort of on the front of their plate and then you know, get teams, hey, we've got to solve this. We, we've got, to, here's the thing. Here's the process of how somebody goes through their, our buy flow and how somebody does business with us. And here is a real on the movers piece because we all kind of step back and go, really that happens? And, and again, trying to gather data from your customer facing employees, huge initiative because they, they were the ones who kind of raised their hands and said, hey, uh, genius, um, I can't even do that when the person says they want to move into. So quickly get teams and around to, to solve those issues. And like we talked about kind of on the life cycle and the continuum, these are the kinds of bits of information that you can make the process better and then your business outcomes are much better. When when do you think you should start focusing on movers? Like you were just mentioning a case where somebody's ready to move and they're calling ahead of time to do their moving. You know, how much how far ahead, you know, say in a subscription business do you think you should really start looking at movers from a retention standpoint? Because this is an easy one. You kind you know somebody's moving, you know they're probably gonna reconsider their purchase versus if it's you know something else, you know, maybe um maybe banking is a little bit different and you can still go get money, you know, at a Wawa or a random ATM. Maybe later you want a branch close to you if you have to do something, you know, but, you know, with internet, like you need it then when you move in um, and there might be, you know, some other things like that, but how far in advance do you typically look at um, wanting to talk to your customers, knowing they might be moving, knowing this, that they may make a change because of it? No, great question. I just was interesting your your kind of East Coast bias using Wawa as an example versus AP <laughs> West Coast. But no, I, I mean I think as 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 far back as you can reasonably determine that, you know, and so so two two answers. One is you know, clearly as, as much advance notice as you can to make it easy. And that's really to my next point, which is you should have, and and Lucy, I know you're familiar with this from your your time at Comcast. Is you, you need to have a you know a, a, a always on kind of presence. And I think, in fact, uh, yeah. you know, not to you know call you out, but you know to compliment you, you were the one who really had come through at Comcast and said and said, by the way, this mover thing, while we think it's always in the the end of the second quarter, or third quarter, and then moving back in for school. It's really not. It's really 
a pretty consistent volume across the quarters yeah. and we're all like yeah. oh yeah oh, that makes sense even though yeah. everything was built around the move season that's a good example of where we finally had the data and we could tell like how often people were moving and so we really changed some of our retention strategies when we were you know when we were both working at comcast so i'm glad you agree that you know you really want to back it up um, yeah. And I know, for example, uh, our sponsor is Sports Group Media, and they can see pre-movers, you know, four to six weeks out. And of course, we didn't have their data, you know, back when when we were attacking these problems. And, and it's such an advantage now. So so far, we've talked about, you know, set up your Doppler radar, your KPIs, know your inflection points. The second one is understand your big segments. We just gave movers as an example. Other people, you know, it could be your millennials. It could be, you know, whomever. It could be your renters. You know, it just depends on what a segment really affects your business. We gave, we just gave movers as an example. And then you mentioned early on competition. You know, what's your competition doing? You know, who is trying to take, you know, your market share? And one of the things I wanted um, to talk specifically about, because it's, it's, it's a risky thing to do sometimes when you're a marketer, um, but sometimes in retention, you have to leverage depositioning marketing and for those of you who have joined us today if you've not heard of the word depositioning um, it's basically you know how do you place doubt about why a consumer would want to leave um, your company you know place doubt in their mind they you know why they would want to leave and go to a competitor or how do you somewhat depositioning deposition yourself against maybe somebody who's taking your market share or somebody who has um, a different kind of offering than you do. And some examples of depositioning, you know, are like if for you guys who are with us today or Avis. Avis was the first company to really leverage depositioning with or number two, we try harder. They actually used that depositioning position for themselves for 50 years until the early 2000s. I mean, it was an amazing, amazingly long running campaign that they ran, probably one of the longest. Um, another one that you might be familiar with more recently today is the Allstate Mayhem character, and he talks in his um, in his spiel in the Allstate ads about if you go with one of those other cut rate guys, you might not be covered. Allstate is depositioning against the progressives of the world and the Geicos of the world who actually um, speak of lower prices and, and more efficiency. You know, Rick, I mean, you mentioned early on, right, when when we were starting to talk about where do you start, you said know your competition. You know, what do you know, what are your thoughts on using depositioning as a retention tactic? Well, I, I mean, I you know, I, I guess I've I've got a little bit of a, a, a reputation on on this one. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll leave that aside because I'm a firm believer. I mean, you you need to give the consumer you know, hey, you know, some new competitor comes in and they're like, hey, we're new or, you know, we're the, the shiny object in the pool, you know, what have you. And everybody's going to have some uh, competitive differential. And so what you have to be always on the lookout when you're, you know, whether it's product marketing, who's the new entrant and what are they saying? And then and then kind of what are their weaknesses? Now, I would not recommend somebody who's brand new into the market to, to run depositioning spots because then you're kind of giving them somebody goes, Oh, I didn't know somebody else was doing that. Uh, let me check them out. So you want, you, you know, they need to spend some money to get that. But when they get to a certain point, you want to sell, and I hate to use this example, but it's probably the cleanest example of 
you know, is is political advertising now. It's it's almost all depositioning. It's basically 28 seconds of this is why this person should be in jail or you know horrible, and two seconds of you know Rick leadership. You know, I mean, you know, it's 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 one second of positive on the candidate and a, a, a huge amount negative. Now, I'm not saying go that route, but certainly if you have a a strong competitor in the marketplace and you have a competitive differentiation between them, there is nothing, I believe, I mean, obviously depending on your budget, there's nothing wrong with kind of accentuating how good you are, as was Lucy mentioned with the Allstate commercial, they they show the negative of something happening and you're not going to get covered. You're, you're going to be responsible for this huge financial liability on your own versus if you had Allstate, you know, that you're covered, you're fine, don't worry about it. And so there's a there's a lot of levels of that messaging that really work. I think it's a, it's a great campaign without, you know, they're not specifically calling out um, competitors, but you can, you know, you can use your yeah. imagination to extrapolate who they're actually talking about. So I'm a huge believer in the right spot of having the right depositioning uh, messaging out there for, you know, which helps on retention because, if if somebody is questioning, it's like, well, maybe the grass is greener somewhere else. But then all of a sudden, it's like, well, I don't know. That seems like there's some doubt there that that that's not as 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 nirvana as it could be as they're showing on the ads. <laughs>